You're listening to The Bookstack with Annie, Nia, and Sydney. Hi, friends, and welcome to the seventh chapter of The Bookstack. I'm Nia. I'm Annie. I'm Sydney. This week, we're dusting off the stacks that we meant to read, but, uh, well, we didn't. This happens <laughs> to readers everywhere, we know, and uh, we want to shine light on the literary equivalents for us of the ones that got away, the ones that leave us a harem of untouched books. So, Annie, what's in your untouched stack this week? So my entire library at home is the remnants, if you will, of uh, my classroom library. I had over 800 books in my classroom library. Some were purchased by the school. Most were not. And so they came home with me when I quit in 2020. And I have not read 800 books. I don't think I've even read that in my life. Sorry. I'll just admit it. I haven't. But I am slowly working through them. I was going alphabetically at one point. I gave up on that (laughs) because I was getting really, like, I really wanted to read other books, but I thought it doesn't start with A. Anyway, I gave up on that. Now I just pick them down. So it was hard for me to choose books because I skip over so many. But the ones that I did pick were ones that I just keep looking at and thinking, I really need to read that. I really need to read that. And then picking the book next to it. So the three that I chose are those books that I just keep going past. Uh, And as I do read these books, I am donating them either to classrooms or little free libraries. I am slowly purging my house of all of the books that I have now read. Blasphemy. I mean, good job donating the new ones. Donating and and helping is great. And new, and I just, I am a book dragon. I hoard my treasure. I, the idea of parting with a book, uh, when I moved, my father asked me to, to pick which books I could donate. And I just laughed at him yeah. <laughs> like that. I just, I, I, I commend the people that can donate books. I just can't. Okay. Well, I have to be in the right mood. It helps. I can weed. I can, I can weed, weed. But, I can't. but if it's my collection, it's a little harder. It's a it little helps harder. that they're going, most of them go to a campus that I will hope to be working at again. So I can bring my babies back. Mm, okay. They're just on loan. I can bring my babies back. <laughs> <laughs> so the first book that I chose is The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. I went way back. It, did. it was published in 1890. And since then, a lot of editions have come out. The one that I have currently uh, is the Barnes and Noble, what is it called? Classics edition. And I've had it, I think, since 2016. So five years, maybe longer. My mom borrowed it from me and read it. So I have a bunch of pages that are dog-eared. And we've talked about how much I don't like that. But it's cool. She oh, asked me so first. many. I know. She asked me first. I think she even underlined stuff. And I said, it's fine. Knowing that it's going to be a while before I actually pick this up. I want watched the league of extraordinary gentlemen you know the movie from 2003 yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's an amazing movie and i just really liked the idea of dorian gray and so i have the book that i haven't read i yes. will read it eventually my mom keeps telling me i need to because of all the things that she uh dog-eared and underlined but i still haven't so I, yeah i love that that's what drew <laughs> you into dorian gray i was intrigued by the idea of dorian i love that gray. movie from the TV show, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Oh, I didn't okay. know that Dorian, it was included in there. Dorian Gray is a character that runs a bar. Oh, oh that, that makes that sense. World. Okay, it yeah. does make sense. And okay. he's an important character that's not utilized 
frequently. So his appearances are few and far between. But what I know of the story, it seems that they keep fairly true to yeah. his narrative. And it's it draws me in and I'm like, oh, I should read that because I really am intrigued by this idea. But looking at the cover of the edition that you have, it's not a super intriguing cover. Like it's, it's not really one of those not. covers that captures your attention and goes, oh, uh-uh. read me, I'm pretty. Nope. Like, Mm-mm. which the, the one the I on the front is our, not sexy. The one I found is much prettier. Yes. So it is. well, this one was also fairly cheap. Yeah. I because yeah. Yeah. It was like seven. The one, the one I read for school did not look that. I, I no. read one. And I read it for under one of my undergrad classes. Uh, it was a gender studies class called Queer Theory. It was mm. awesome. Couldn't be listed that way because it was Utah. Right. But it was but an it amazing was. class. We had four days or five days to read that cover to cover. Oh my goodness! Oh and no! From what I understand from my mother, there's a lot in here. There is. It was really thick. It was really yeah. good, but there's yeah, a lot. That, I don't recommend reading it that fast. Yeah, <laughs> when I do read it, it it'll be one that it's going to take me like a year. I'm looking forward to it. I really am. But going back to what Sydney Eventually. said, I think eventually uh, every piece of media that I've consumed that includes Dorian Gray, I feel like they don't utilize it as much as they should. The character, yeah. like with Sabrina and him being a bartender with the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, he's a side character of a side character. I really feel like they could utilize that a little bit more. I wonder they if don't. they can't, if they're not able to pull the, like the depth Essence, that you can get yeah. from the book. Maybe. And it's, oh, it's just this dude with his picture and yeah. completely missing like mm. all of the, yeah. Well, I, so I am going to read part of the jacket and even the jacket explanation goes into that, how mm-hmm. it's so much more complex than we think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just reading this one paragraph from the jacket makes me want to pick it up. Because it's more complex than what I've seen. Yeah. So the jacket description from the back, I didn't go from the inside of the book because it's just a lot of quotes and Mm. things like that. So I went with the back. And because this is a Barnes and Noble copy from their classics, the back introduction comes from another author. It's by Camille Couty. And she said, Oscar Wilde brings his enormous gifts for astute social observation and sparkling prose to the picture of Dorian Gray. His dreamlike story of a young man who sells his soul for eternal youth and beauty. This dandy who remains forever unchanged, petulant, hedonistic, vain, and amoral, while a painting of him ages and grows increasingly hideous with the years, has been horrifying, enchanting, obsessing, even corrupting readers for more than a hundred years. Like that right there sounds like an interesting book. Sounds like she's a good writer. (laughs) Yes, it sounds like she knows what she's doing. She did a great job of sucking you in. Yes, but I want to read about a petulant, hedonistic, vain, and amoral person. Because why not? Because why not? (laughs) And then the fact that it has been horrifying, enchanting, obsessing, and corrupting readers. Again, I want to pick that up. Yeah. It will be good once I get to it. (laughs) Okay. So the second book that I chose, I feel so bad about all of these. I just, I feel like I'm hurting one of my children by not reading these books. Like, I love you all. I spent money on you all. I promise I had good intentions. Oh, we always have good intentions, especially when it comes to books. Yeah. So the second one that I picked up is uh, Dread Nation. I know by Justina Ireland. It's so pretty. It's so pretty. It's so pretty. It's got a girl who is dressed in military garb if you will civil war military guard yeah with a flag in the back so you can tell it's going to be 
historical something yeah. because it's definitely a period piece and it's just so pretty i'll get a little closer yeah. so you can see she that. she has beautiful dreadlocks absolutely beautiful she dreadlocks. does apparently this is a series oh. i didn't know because i still haven't read book one <laughs> this came out in 2018 the sequel came out in 2020 and i think i've owned this since it came out pretty sure i bought it as soon as it came out i heard about it somewhere and it sounded interesting and then i lent it to a student to read this book with the intention of reading it when he returned the book and then school shut down. Yeah, and it did that. And I thought, well, I guess I've lost that book forever. Maybe I'll rebuy it. Maybe I won't. We'll see. And then I was cleaning out my classroom because I didn't return after 2020. So I was there cleaning everything out and I hear my name coming from a moving car and I went up to the moving car like you do. And my <laughs> that student said, safe. hey, Mrs. Kenworthy, I have some books for you. And I said, oh, thanks. And he returned Dread Nation. And I said, did you read it? And he said, no. <laughs> he said, it looked so uh, good and I wanted to, <laughs> but I didn't. Right. He said, well, I haven't either. I, I had a friend recommend it and I checked it out twice and renewed it twice. Like the audio <laughs> and everything. I heard the audio was fantastic. Really? Uh-huh. I totally get you it. You know, so it's on, the, you both did the same thing. Yes. The fact that I haven't read these books says nothing about the authors. It says nothing about anything other than me and my personality and my issues. Well, I know when I had it recommended to me, I was in grad school. Did I read for fun in grad school? No. And if I did, it was stuff I've read. 50, 60 mm-hmm. times, and I could just mm-hmm. pick it up wherever middle chapter I stepped or, you know, started in last time and put it down and not touch it for two years. That's all yeah. I did in grad school. So we can chalk up the fact that we haven't read this book to busy lives and bad, and timing. bad timing, bad timing. Yes. I feel like reading a lot of the time is what sounds good right now. And it's a very yes. impulsive, emotion-based decision at that time that yes. has nothing to do with whether or not the book is great. It yes. just has to do with what do I feel like right now? And it's very much a, how do I yes. feel? What does my soul need right now? Exactly. And I find that I'll write down the title because it speaks to my soul. And then I get it in the mail and shocker, it's no longer the same day. What? Yeah. Because mail doesn't work that way. So then by the time <laughs> I get the book, it's no longer speaking to my soul. Yeah, I feel that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So here's what the jacket says. It says, Jane McKean was born two days before the dead began to walk the battlefields of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, derailing the war between the states and changing the nation forever. In this new America, safety for all depends on the work of a few And laws like the Negro and Native Reeducation Act require certain children attend combat schools to learn to put down the dead. But there are also opportunities, and Jane is studying to become an attendant, trained in both weaponry and etiquette to protect the well-to-do. It's a chance for for a better life for Negro girls like Jane. But that's not a life she wants. Almost finished with her education at Miss Preston's School of Combat in Baltimore, Jane is set on returning to her Kentucky home and doesn't pay much mind to the politics of the eastern cities with their talk of returning America to the glory of its days before the dead rose. But when families around Baltimore County begin to go missing, Jane is caught in the middle of a desperate fight against some powerful enemies, and the restless dead, it would seem, are the least of her problems. At once provocative, terrifying, and darkly subversive, Dread Nation is Justina Ireland's stunning vision of an America both foreign and familiar. A century on the brink at the explosive crossroads where race, humanity, and survival meet. That sounds so good. I know. It's racial issues, zombies, war, 
all the things all the things it's yeah, a and it even has yeah. a sequel so people thought it was good enough to write a second one it had huge wait lists out here especially because it's set locally so oh yeah that's right that's right yeah because yeah, yeah this is you know maryland I, and yeah maryland gettysburg is not that far from baltimore you guys it's you're looking at maybe 90 minutes maybe by car it's really close i look at this so. book multiple times a day multiple <laughs> times a day and i still don't pick it up i will i'll pick it, it up again it'll happen it'll happen, it'll happen. It'll, it's gonna happen We'll talk about it in the future stack. We will. There you go. <laughs> Accountability partners. Yes. <laughs> so the next book I have is The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. He is the same person who wrote The Underground Railroad. I read The Underground Railroad, loved it, assigned it in my classroom. And then this one came out and I didn't touch it until I saw the cover in my little free library and I took it home. Yeah. Okay. It was published in 2019, but I just kept thinking that's a book I should read. That's a book I should own. And then I didn't until 2019 when I found it in my neighborhood. Uh, I feel guilty holding on to this book. I feel really guilty because I know that other people want it. It was a New York Times bestseller. It was a very popular book and it's sitting on my shelf, not being read. And I feel very badly about that. So the jacket says, as the civil rights movement begins to reach the black enclave of French town in segregated Tallahassee, Elwood Curtis takes the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to heart. He is, quote, as good as anyone. Abandoned by his parents, but kept on the straight and narrow by his grandmother, Elwood is a high school senior about to start classes at a local college. But for a black boy in the Jim Crow South of the early 1960s, one innocent mistake is enough to destroy the future. Elwood is sentenced to a juvenile reformatory called the Nickel Academy, whose mission statement says it provides physical, intellectual, and moral training so that the delinquent boys in its charge can become honorable and honest men. In reality, the Nickel Academy is a grotesque chamber of horrors where the sadistic staff beats and sexually abuses the students, corrupt officials and locals steal food and supplies, and any boy who resists is likely to disappear out back. Stunned to find himself in such a vicious environment, Elwood tries to hold on to Dr. King's ringing assertion, throw us in jail and we will still love you. His friend Turner thinks that Elwood is worse than naive, that the world is crooked, and that the only way to survive is to scheme and avoid trouble. The tension between Elwood's ideals and Turner's skepticism leads to a decision with repercussions that will echo down the decades. Formed in the crucible of the evils Jim Crow rot, the boys' fates will be determined by what they endure at the Nickel Academy. Based on the real story of a reform school in Florida that operated for 111 years and warped the lives of thousands of children, The Nickel Boys is a devastating, driven narrative that showcases a great American novelist writing at the height of his powers. Wow, I know I need like to read that book. That looks so I know so heavy. I need to read it. It's going to be super heavy. It's not very long. It's 213 pages, including acknowledgments. So 210 without. It's not very long, but I know it's going to be really heavy. That and I know really it's heavy. important. Well, yeah, would it be based on a real story that mm-hmm. as you're, as you were reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds so dark. And then you got to the part mm-hmm. where it was based on a real story and it just, mm-hmm. My stomach turned and I just felt sick that that was something that actually happened to, to children. Like that yeah. just, and I that think makes, I've read about that. School. I have too. Yeah. Like they were, they were talking about the mass graves they found there. Like it mm-hmm. is really horrific. Mm-hmm. And I read the oh. underground railroad that was turned into a show on some streaming network. And it was the same. People said, this is really, really dark and heavy and not for late night binging. Mm-hmm. And I think the nickel boys is going to be the same. I think it's important. 
I think I need to read it, but I think it's going to take me a while. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. It seems very intriguing, but I can also see why you grabbed it and was, and you were like, this is so important. I need to read it, but I can also mm-hmm. see why you didn't because mm-hmm. you have to be in a very specific mindset to be able to pick up a book like that. And being in grad school with, okay, I don't have two children under two anymore, but two almost under two is not the time for me to be reading something like this. Especially after the last two years. It's really not the time, but I know it will be. So I'm going to hold on to it. All right, Nia, what do you have? So looking over my, my dusty, dusty stacks and my list (laughs) was kind of fun, especially one of them that I tried, I looked up and went, I don't even remember. Like I kind of remembered it and went, I'm going to look for that one again. So the, the first one I have on my list is called Spitting Blood, The History of Tuberculosis by Helen Bynum. That's it came a, out in... a catching title anyway, Spitting Blood. Like <laughs> right? you, everyone just go, what? Hmm? What was this? See? Yeah. Uh, and it came out in 2012. Something that I have a tendency of doing is I will go on streaks where I will read, all I will read will be sci-fi or all I will read will be fantasy or all I will read will be nonfiction. And that is all I do. And so this must've been in one of my nonfiction kicks, Mm. the cover. Oh, which isn't that a neat cover. That is the, the font with the, it kind of for listeners, the font of the title kind of looks like when someone had coughed up blood and there was kind of like those like little streams of coming that came out from the yeah there's splatter yeah so which uh if you want to see any of these covers they are going to be all on our social media and on our website so if you want to see what we're looking at while we talk about them that is where you will find them you can find us there um at bookstacktrio.com and you can also follow us on instagram at bookstacktrio yeah so this one yeah must have been it was about six years ago when i pulled it and of all the topics to pick past self oh boy (laughs) speaking of heavy books (laughs) I know. (laughs) So, but the description for this one is tuberculosis is characterized as a social disease and few have been more inextricably linked with human history. There is evidence from the archaeological record that myobacterium tuberculosis and its human hosts have been together for a very long time. The very mention of tuberculosis brings to mind romantic images of great literary figures pouring their souls into creative works as their bodies were being decimated by consumption. It's a disease that it very times has had a certain glamour associated with it which is from the medieval i know right honestly when i think of tuberculosis (laughs) i think of moulin rouge and how you know in the movie she's singing and floating through the skies but also coughing up blood yeah so it's kind of romantic but also, like you said, this is death. Yep. Uh, for the medieval period to the modern day, Helen Bynum explores the history and development of tuberculosis through the world, touching on the various discoveries that have emerged about the disease over time and focusing on the experimental approaches of Jean, of Jean-Antoine Velleman from 1827 to 1892 and Robert Koch from 1842 to 1910. Bynum also, explains, or also examines the place tuberculosis holds in the popular imagination and its role in various forms of the dramatic arts, which Moulin Rouge's one yeah, um, probably yeah, talks about sounds that. like. So, but it, yeah. So it, it goes into the history of tuberculosis since the 1950s, how um, the World Health Organization has approached it and just what that looks like. And then in the meantime, tuberculosis has emerged again in the West, both among the urban underclass and in association with HIV. So um, it's returned with a vengeance in a, yeah, uh, the description says the disease has returned with a vengeance in a drug resistant form. 
So okay, yeah, so heavier, heavier book. Yeah, um, but Can really I, fascinating. It does sound it does sound incredibly interesting. I'm not gonna lie, I am very intrigued by this book. I remember growing up when I would read books that were historically based, talking mm-hmm. about someone coming down with consumption or someone having consumption. Right. And to me, to consume is like something that you ate that was wrong or like overeating or something. And so I assumed it before Google was a oh. thing. I assumed that it was like someone who was just gluttonous that overate and killed themselves because they overate. Oh. And then I finally oh. like looked it up in a dictionary no. and was like, oh, ha, ha. <laughs> So just that kidding. was very, very off. Cool. But why does it sound so similar? Yeah, that's true. But so the fact that we have, like, we know it as tuberculosis, but historically that's not what it's always been called. As you read it, you have to, it's interesting to see what people took on with the changing of the name as it mm-hmm. changed terminology. Definitely. So yeah, that, that one's uh, in my dusty stack. Yeah. yeah. Untouched stack. Uh, I mean, I can see called- why. <laughs> Because it yeah. looks really interesting, but it's also like you have to be in the right mindset for it. There's going to be and a lot of in the information middle, there. In the middle mm-hmm. of a pandemic is not the time to read about nope. some horrific disease. Mm-hmm. Nope. Yeah. So me finding that one, it was, oh, cool, cool. Guess that's going to stay in the untouched stack. We aren't going to touch that one again anytime <laughs> you know, soon. It, it, so, there's no harm in leaving it there. It's fine. No, yep. It'll wait. It'll be fine. Yeah, um, it's fine. Then. The next one I have is called By Gaslight. It is written by Stephen Pierce. It was published in 2016. It's a historical fiction. It is set in Victorian London. So it has an amazing foggy cover with a man walking away from the person who's looking at the picture with his coat billowing behind him. And you can see the shadows of London in the background. It looks very mysterious. Yeah. Right. The cover completely drew me in. It looked really good. And I kept hearing it was really good. And I kept seeing it on the new arrival shelf because this is what happens when you're a librarian and you work in the library. You see all this stuff and you go, I'm going to read it all. (laughs) Oh, yes. That one. It is impossible. And that one. And then you end up with your card maxed out going, How did I check out all that stuff? And where can I find it to return it? Because that's the bigger (laughs) fear for me. That happens at my house too. Like it's here somewhere. Yeah. So I checked it out and renewed it and checked it out and renewed it and never got around to it and went, you know what? I need to just face the fact that I'm not going to get to this for a while. And I did not check it back out again. It will still Um, be there when you're ready though. It will be there. Mm -hmm. It will be. So uh, this description for this one is by Gaslight is a deeply atmospheric haunting novel about the unending quest that has shaped a man's life. William Pinkerton is already famous. Right. That just sums up. The I mean, cover just right sucks there. you in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. William Pinkerton is already famous, the son of the most notorious detective of all time. When he descends into the underworld of Victorian London in pursuit of a new lead on the fabled con Edward Shade. William's father died without ever finding Shade, but William is determined to drag the thief out of the shadows. Adam Fool is a gentleman without a past, haunted by a love affair ten years gone. When he receives a letter from his lost beloved, he returns to London to find her. What he learns of her fate and its connection to the man known as Shade will force him to confront a grief he thought long buried. A fog-enshrouded hunt through sewers, opium dens, drawing rooms, and seance halls ensues, creating the most unlikely of bonds between Pinkerton the great detective and fool the one man who may hold the key to finding edward shade right yeah let's see the end that's the description of the plot and then it finishes up with stephen price's dazzling riveting by gaslight moves from the diamond mines of south africa to the battlefields of the civil war on a journey into a cityscape of grief trust and it's breaking where what we share can bind us even against our darker selves 
yeah, I can see why that sucked you in. Right. Yeah. I like that the jacket description goes with the cover that it ties it all in. So you get pulled in by this cover. And then also the same things that pulled you in from the cover are pulling you in from the jacket. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So that's eventually that one will come back up to me (laughs) because, oh, it just, oh, but yeah. Yeah. I think that's going to need a little more brain power than I can fathom right now. So there's, there's my second one. And my last one is called Like Water for Chocolate, a novel in monthly installments with recipes, romances, and home remedies by Laura Esquivel. I also have this on my shelf. Do you really? really? I've never read it. I hadn't either. (laughs) It looks really pretty. I know. And and I think- I like the idea of it. I like books with recipes. I like books like this, Mm -hmm. but I haven't read it. And I think that's when I checked or why I checked it out is I was checking out books that had recipes pulled in and was Mm -hmm. reading cozy mysteries like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, This one was originally published in 1989 in Spanish, and it was translated into English with the first edition in English coming out in 1992. But I I was looking around at the stuff I was checking out then. I was checking out a lot of cookbooks at that time too. So So you do um, check out in trends. I do. You do. And that's, I, I, I kind of figured I did, but looking back at my checkout history it was oh yes I do this in swaths so because you go on a binge where you do all the holds and then you go that's true I I was thinking that's true I think we all do that to an extent how many times have I shown you guys a stack of books that I just brought home and they're all the same (laughs) genre yeah well you find one and you just keep you're in that spot right Mm -hmm. there's so many interesting books I gotta read them all it's like Pokemon but better yes it's true so the the jacket (laughs) I love that. Sorry. Um, I just, it's true. It's true. It's true. Well, and apparently this actually inspired an award-winning film. Yes, I knew that. I Wait, still haven't watched, watched the movie. That. There's a movie based on the book. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, and that could be part of what pulled me into it too, because it feels mm. very divine secrets of the Yaya sisterhood. Mm-hmm. So that could have been what pulled me in. I have no idea what pulled me in, but it's pulled me in again. And I actually have requested this through interlibrary loan. Oh, so we'll see if I actually read it this You're gonna time. You're going to try it again. <laughs> Accountability one, try it again. Right? one more time yep. with feeling. In the future, so, it'll be brought up in one of our stacks. Because you right? will have well, read this, it. This sounds like the kind of vibe I need. Like it just, it feels, yeah. So here's the description. Earthy, magical, and utterly charming. This tale of family life in turn of the century Mexico blends poignant romance with and bittersweet wit. This classic love story takes place on the De La Garza ranch as the tyrannical owner, Mama Elena, chops onions at the kitchen table in her final days of pregnancy. While still in her mother's womb, her daughter-to-be weeps so violently she causes an early labor and little Tita slips out amid the spices and fixings for noodle soup. This early encounter with food soon becomes a way of life and Tita grows up to be a master chef using cooking to express herself and sharing recipes with readers along the way. That just sounds amazing. It sucks in so strongly. Why haven't I read this? Why do I own it and haven't read it? See, and I don't own this one. I think that's the whole point of the stack. Yeah. Why? We're all looking at these books. As we talk about it, we're like, oh, but why haven't I done this? Yes. So, and that one has the shortest description, but it still just, oh, completely sucks me in. So this one's on my interlibrary loan request list and there's a good chance I'm probably going to end up buying it. So, (laughs) I mean, that's what you do with good Um, books. It's true. You buy them and then you lend them out to someone and then you buy it again so that you can lend it out again. Yeah. Yeah, That's how we roll. It's a cycle. That's how it works. So Sydney, what's in your stack? I have a lot of books that are in storage. I don't, uh, most of my books are in storage. I have very few that are on my shelf right now because I'm limited with space. So for this stack specifically, I picked three of the books that I intentionally kept out of storage with intentions to read. And then I didn't. (laughs) 
So you the went so stack far of best as, intentions. You went so far <laughs> as to even pull them from storage and say, I will read these. Yes. I am like I went through and intentionally kept them out of the boxes yeah. that went into storage going, I haven't read this yet, but I really want to keep it out so that I read it. You went and a step then farther than I did. I just stare at them because they're pretty. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing. The first book in the stack that I picked is called The Game of Queens, The Women Who Made 16th Century Europe by Sarah Gristwood. Okay. So you have this very regal looking hand on a globe. It's very pretty. That almost looks gems. like a textbook. I mean, I really enjoy but most that's textbooks. Okay. So yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Pretty. It sucks me it in. It is pretty. But it, yeah. is, it is a very pretty cover. The red and the cream mm-hmm. work together. It's very pretty. It sucks me in. This one was published in 2016 and I got it when it first came out. So this is the first edition print in the hardcover. I have mentioned multiple times in our chapters that I love history, especially European history. Thanks to my AP world and AP Euro teacher. I took him sophomore year for his AP world and loved it so much that when I got to senior year in high school and he was offering AP Euro, I was like, yes, please. (laughs) I actually sat in the very front of the room with a little tape recorder and I recorded all of his lessons so that I could go home and transcribe them. So I didn't miss anything. Oh, wow. It got to the point where, so his name was Mr. Felt. He's fantastic. He just barely retired after 48 years of teaching. Whoa, that's amazing. It is. And he, every year this in the most likely two categories that the seniors would get ranked in, they'd have, you know, most likely to succeed, most likely to be president. Mm -hmm. I got listed as most likely to be the next Mr. Felt. (laughs) What a compliment. I know, right? I, I was very, very flattered. And I'd like to think that I, in my own way in teaching English, have done that. I think for what you he have. did with history. I think so. Thank you. I think you have to. The title is catchy. The cover isn't the most eye-catching, but it isn't bad. No, it's not bad. So I stare at it a lot. I even went so far as to put it next to my bed and I put a bookmark inside of it wow. so that I could just start reading as soon as I grabbed it. And I kid you not, after five years of sitting next to my bed, I finally moved it over to my shelf in resignation that being on my nightstand just wasn't working. Five years? I, I feel I literally bought it when it first came out in became 2016. It a decoration. It was. It was, it was room decor is what it became, which is <laughs> so heartbreaking, but it is what it is. I mean, you, know, you do what you do. So here is the jacket. It reads, 16th century Europe saw an explosion of female rule. Whether they were on the throne or behind the scenes, women held under unprecedented power for more than a hundred years from Isabella of Castile, her daughter, Catherine of Aragon and her granddaughter, Mary Tudor to Catherine de Medici and Boleyn and Elizabeth Tudor. These women wielded enormous authority over their territories, shaping the course of European history. Isabella of Castile, armor clad, followed her soldiers onto the battlefield. Margaret of Austria and Louise of Savoy, two queen regents, put an end to years of war with their ladies' peace. Anne Boleyn was raised in Margaret of Austria's court, surrounded by powerful women. Her daughter, Elizabeth Tudor, grew up to be one of the most famous queens in history. Across boundaries and generations, these royal women were mothers and daughters, mentors and protégés, allies and enemies. For the first time, Europe saw a sisterhood of women who exercised their authority in uniquely feminine ways that would not be equaled until modern times. At once a fascinating group biography and a thrilling political epic, Game of Queens explores the lives of some of the most beloved and reviled queens in history. From the rise of this age of queens to its eventual collapse, one thing was certain, Europe would never be the same. I can absolutely see why you picked that one up. That yeah, sounds fascinating. Right? It sounds like there's a lot of information, yeah, but definitely also info that dump. it's going to be good information. I feel like it's in the vein of the Dan Jones books that mm-hmm. I read a lot, mm-hmm. which I think is why I gravitated toward it. But I just... Someday. Eventually. Get to it. Mm-hmm. Eventually it will no longer be a decoration. <laughs> 
I'm very hopeful. I'm hopeful also. (laughs) Yeah. The second book in my stack is The Paladin Prophecy, which is a trilogy. The first one was published in 2012, and I have all three books with the original hardcover publications. I bought the first when it was newly out, and then I never got around to reading it. But once I bought the first, despite not having read it, I kept (laughs) buying the series hard copy so that they'd match on the shelf with all of it. Because I I knew eventually that I'd get to it. And I wanted to have matters. I wanted them all to match. I wanted them to all be the, the first edition hardcovers. And I wanted to make sure that they all looked nice when I got them so that, and then I could just read them all the way through, right? and not have to wait for the next one to come out. It's a very intriguing cover. It is. Oh, that's pretty. Wings with a shield and swords and fire coming out from behind it. And then some swirling vortex at the bottom. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, it's it's really intriguing looking. It was written by Mark mm-hmm. Frost. And I really was intrigued at the idea of a male protagonist because a lot of YA books, this is a YA book. A lot of YA books are geared towards female readers because that is the predominant gender that reads YA books. It's why there's so much romance in them, which I could do without, mostly because it reminds me that I'm single. I could also do without it, mostly because it reminds me of being a teenager. Yeah. And I don't need to remember those years. No. I mean, living through them okay. once was enough. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to remember that. But it's it's a really intriguing It's a really intriguing idea. It has an inside cover combination that goes along with the back. So I'm going to read the back first because it's like that bum, bum, bum kind of thing. And then I'll read the actual summary. A black sedan glided by as Will jogged toward the next intersection. They're looking for an address they can't find, Will thought. Then he wondered how he knew that. A faint marimba ringing sounded. Will slipped his phone from his pocket and saw dad's first text of the day. How's your time? Will smiled, dad with his caps lock on again. Will was about to text back when he heard the rasp of rubber on Wet's pavement, the black sedan. Shrouded by exhaust, engine rumbling in idle, it was stopped in the intersection ahead of him. Will couldn't see the car's tinted glass, but somehow he knew. Whoever was inside was looking at him. A marimba broke the silence. Another text from Dad. Run, Will. So that's what I read that got me to grab this book and be like, oh, who's in the black sedan? Like... I need to right? know. How does he know to tell him to run? Yeah. So this was published in 2012. Yes. And it has a cell phone. I mean, it's it's a it's a basic phone. Right, right. But yeah, it does. So many things in that would bring would bring a reader in. There's a black sedan, someone's looking at it. Yes. Dad son relationship that may or may not have to do with what's with going whatever's on. going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you open the inside flap, here's what the jacket cover reads. Will West is careful to live life under the radar. At his parents' insistence, he's made sure to get mediocre grades and to stay in the middle of the pack on his cross-country team. Then Will slips up, accidentally scoring off the charts on a nationwide exam. Now Will is being courted by an exclusive prep school and followed by men driving black sedans. When Will suddenly loses his parents, he must flee to the school. There he begins to explore all that he's capable of, physical and mental feats that should be impossible, and learns that his abilities are connected to a struggle between titanic forces that have lasted for a millennia. Co-creator of the groundbreaking television series Twin Peaks, Mark Frost brings his unique vision to this sophisticated adventure series, which combines mystery, heart-pounding action, and the supernatural. That sounds really good. It does! That does sound really good. So why haven't I read it? Because <laughs> there's so many choices. I just there's so many books have... and so little time. Um, I know. Because you can't read everything. You can't. Yes. And because you purchased. Right. But you have a, this is a three book 
read. Yes. That might be part of it that, you know, you're in it for three books immediately. Yes, there's a three book commitment. Mm-hmm. I'm writing that title down. As you should. It, it mm-hmm. does look really intriguing. And I not should. all three of them because I read one book at a time, <laughs> <laughs> but I will write that one down. <laughs> the last book in my stack is called the Sword of Shannara Trilogy. And it's by Terry Brooks. I this absolutely familiar. It does sound familiar because there was a TV show. Okay. Called it's Sword a of Shannara. Really popular, or, really popular series. Yeah. It's a very classic high fantasy. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. I have not okay. read these. I got hooked on the TV show and it ran for two seasons and I very much wanted it to keep going. And alongside a large number of other fans, I was very upset when it wasn't renewed for a third season because it ended on a very, very big cliffhanger. Rude. I know. But at the end of the first season, my friend and I started to read the series. Well, we decided to start reading the series because we. If you had read it, it wouldn't be on this list. (laughs) It's very true. (laughs) It's because you decided to, but then didn't. We decided and. We did. We downloaded the Kindle books, and she also downloaded the narration as an add-on because she found that it was a little hard to get into, and so she was mm-hmm. like, "Well, I'll listen to the audiobook to get into it," which I should have done, but I didn't. <laughs> and when she had told me that she got the audiobook because it was a little hard to get into, I started getting a little hesitation in order in starting. But I had purchased the trilogy as one ebook, so it's all three books as the as one ebook, mm-hmm. and then. My friend started complaining about how the narrator on the audiobook pronounced things differently than on the TV show. She was complaining that the TV show did it wrong. She wasn't complaining that the audiobook did it wrong. She was just complaining about how the TV okay. show was mispronouncing things differently than the audiobook was. And she started pointing things out in the show that were either out of order or they were just completely made up and wrong from what the books were. Ooh. And I love the show so much that I couldn't bring myself to read the books and then ruin the show that I had enjoyed, <laughs> despite the fact that she told me how much better the books were. But I looked it up and the first book in the series, which is technically a trilogy, but it has a book zero and a book 3.5. So it's really more of a saga, but it's referred to as a trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the first book was published clear back in 1977, which I had no idea it was that old. And it was just barely being adapted for TV. I would have thought it was more recent. Oh no, but this is when I, when I say it's classic high fantasy, it is classic high fantasy. Yeah, that is classic high fantasy. Okay. That is, but I had no idea until I started looking it up because to me it was based on a TV show. So it must've been recent and it's not, but it took until 1982 before book two was released. So that tells me that it probably was sold as a single book that was being sold to a publisher. And then, then Terry Brooks was offered a contract to finish the series because there was only a three-year difference between book two and book three. Book zero as the prequel did not come out until 1996, but I think it's awesome that nearly two decades wow. after he created this world, Terry Brooks went back in to create a prequel. Yeah. But now, but now I'm like, well, but do I, do I start with the prequel then? Or do mm. I start with the, with the first book, the way it was originally intended? The to be age read? old question. I know. Do we follow in publishing order or in chronological order? I know it's just, it's just Ooh. hard. Cause then you're trying to figure out. And so, and it just led into a greater indecision Yes. Which has just continued to prompt me to not read this book. The spiral. Yes. Here's the uh, the Goodreads hook. Living in peaceful shady Vale, 
Shay Olmsford knew little of the troubles that plagued the rest of the world. Then the giant forbidding Alanon revealed that the supposedly dead warlock lord was plotting to destroy the world. The sole weapon against this power of darkness was the sword of Shannara, which could only be used by the true heir of Shannara, Shay being the last of the bloodline upon whom all hope rested. Soon a skullbearer, dread minion of evil, flew into Vale seeking to destroy Shay. To save the Vale, Shay fled, drawing the skullbearer after him. Bum, bum, bum. That sounds like classic high fantasy from the it 70s. Does. It and there's does. nothing wrong with that. There's, there's not. absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I wasn't drawn in by that. And as I read that, I'm like, okay. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. But I was drawn in because of the fantasy. TV show. You were drawn in because of the show. Well, um, I, I have I have family who have read these books who are very big fans of these books. Mm-hmm. So they might have opinions on what order to read them in. Mm. There you I'll go. Crowdsource. <laughs> the people. So, Good plan. So yeah. Good plan. So Annie, what are you reading right now? Or are you going to pick up next? Absolutely nothing from my untouched shelves. <laughs> throw that out there. <laughs> I'm not going in those books. I will eventually, but today is not that day. I had planned on finishing Cloud Cuckoo Land this week, but I finished that early. So I moved on. I started The Midnight Library by Matt Haig this week. I'm about 70 pages into that. And then I also started The Leavers by Lisa Ko. They're very different books, but I'm enjoying them both. So we'll see how that goes. Neil, what do you have? I am reading Blackfish City by Sam J. Miller. My cousin gave me a stack of books from her stack. And this book was in there. It has notes from the author in it, which is awesome. But I'm listening to it on audio. And uh, the audio is amazing. So uh, that's what I've started. And I'm still working on Unfuck Your Boundaries because that is not a book that you do fast, even though it's not that big of a book. So Some books are like makes that. Sense. Yeah. Sydney, what are you uh, reading right now? So it's, it's a book I'm hoping to pick up next. <laughs> Speaking of untouched stacks, it's called A Map of Days. It's by Ransom Riggs. It's in the Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children series. What number I have, is that? It's number four. I also okay. have A Conference of the Birds or A Conference of Birds, which is book five. Uh-huh. I have both of them and they're both sitting to be read because I read the first three. I really liked the first three. And then the next one came out. So I hurried and bought it because I really liked the first three. Mm-hmm. And then the next one after that came out. So I bought it because I had the others and I'm staring at them going, I really ought to read this. And I know I am going to like it. So I think I'm, I, I'm still very much in a nonfiction headspace. So I'm, I, it's what I'm looking to pick up next, but it might stay in my untouched stack for a little bit longer because it's been there for a while and I haven't picked it up, but I'm, I'm thinking I want to. It will be there <laughs> when you're ready. It will be. It's, it's on my nightstand because we know how well that system works. <laughs> <laughs> Well, surely you've read something because it's been on your nightstand. I mean, yes, See, at least once. Oh, a broken clock is right twice a day. Those books yeah. have been in my to-be-read pile for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I felt think the I read same the first way. Two. I read the first two and really liked them. I watched the movie. The movie was that's for um, something else, a different discussion. The movie was yeah different. And then I kept buying the books or checking them out, thinking, mm-hmm. oh, I really liked the first two, and I just haven't. See, I know, I know when I pick those up again. I'll just read them. It will be, Mm -hmm. I will sit down and it'll be, they'll be gone in an afternoon evening Mm -hmm. and then I'll be able to put them away. Cause when I read the first two, that's what happened. I picked them up and that's all I did. Yeah. Yeah, Me too. They're they're very well written books. Mm -hmm. And the author always takes you in a direction that you're not expecting. Right. So that's what I'm hoping to pick up next. (laughs) Well, good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. I'll let you know how it goes. And if not, if if not, don't feel guilty uh, (laughs) because life's too short to read stuff you don't want to read. It's true. 
Well, friends, thanks for listening to this chapter of the book stack. And as we sign off, we'd like to leave you with some food for thought. And we'll see you next time when we bring out some dystopian titles to share from our stacks. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Bookstack Trio and follow us at Bookstack Trio on Instagram and Facebook to see a full listing of the books mentioned in our stack, which is extra helpful today to see the, the covers as we talked about them. And if you read a book from this stack, let us know what you thought on our social media. You can also find us on our website at bookstacktrio.com. A man's library is a sort of harem. Ralph Waldo Emerson. 